So we have uh, two sessions left this morning, and uh, I really am looking forward to the afternoon session after lunch on just a Q&A. So I want to remind you again, uh, if you were here yesterday, I mentioned this. Uh, if you have questions or things pop into your mind, make a mental note or jot them down on your uh, sheets there and come uh, this afternoon after lunch prepared to ask questions. We'll just have some interaction and go as long as we need to to try to get all of your different questions uh, answered. Um, but uh, this morning in our Bible study hour, I want to kind of focus on uh, signs of the times that indicate we could very well be living in the last of the last days. Now, if you missed yesterday, as Pastor Dwayne said, you can go to notbyworks.org. All four videos are posted there. Just click on the videos tab on our homepage uh, and then click all videos. You'll see them there in order. Uh, so if you'd like to kind of catch up on some of the topics we talked about yesterday, I encourage you to do that. If you're more of an audio person, you can listen to the audio-only version of that on uh, any podcast uh, provider. Just search for Not By Works Ministries. But to sort of wrap up what we talked about yesterday, I, I thought this morning in the first hour we would talk about 10 unmistakable signs that we might be living in the last of the last days. You know, when Jesus was nearing the end of his ministry, he rebuked the first century unbelieving Jewish leaders uh, for their inability to recognize who they were talking to and who was here in fulfillment of prophecy. Here was the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, the, the Son of Man actually appearing before them just as the, uh, the prophet Daniel had said that he would. And of course, uh, they rejected him. Now that was all part of God's plan. That, that in and of itself was part of fulfilled prophecy. But humanly speaking, uh, they should have crowned him King of Kings and they crowned him with thorns instead. But he has this interesting uh, statement uh, to make here in Matthew chapter 16. He says, hypocrites, you know how to discern the face of the sky. He's talking about how they can look at the clouds and tell what the weather's going to be doing. But he says, but you cannot discern the signs of the times. And we want to be careful not to make that same mistake, even, in, even though in the context there he's talking about the coming of the kingdom. From our perspective, the next great prophetic event, like we talked about yesterday, is the rapture. So we're looking forward to being caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Uh, nevertheless, the same principle holds true. There are signs of the times that ought to alert us to the urgency of the hour. So the first thing I want to do before we get to those signs is talk about the difference between a sign and a fulfillment. And, and really understanding this distinction is critical uh, for understanding all the Bible prophecy. The reason so many people get confused about Bible prophecy is because they really don't recognize the nuance between a sign and a fulfillment. So a sign is any world event, any geopolitical event, anything that might be happening that could be setting the stage for the fulfillment of prophecy. And the emphasis there is on could be. And so we believe the rapture is imminent. I talked about that yesterday. We have a DVD uh, teaching the doctrine of imminency, which means it could happen at any moment. There are no prophecies that have to take place prior to the rapture. It could happen today. It could have happened 100 years ago. It might not happen for another 100 years. We don't know. But as we see the stage being set for events that happen after the rapture, necessarily it means that we're getting closer to the rapture. So a fulfilled prophecy, by contrast, is a direct prediction in Scripture that comes true. The next prophecy that will be fulfilled is the rapture. But there are many prophecies, as we mentioned this weekend, you know, 16% of the Bible is unfulfilled prophecy, right? So what we want to do is look at the signs of the times and see, you know, is the stage being set for... The, the rise of the Antichrist, for uh, the rebuilding of the temple, for the battle of Gog and Magog, for those types of things. And if we see the stage being set for that, 
well, then it naturally follows that we must be getting closer and closer uh, to the end times. And so what we're looking at this morning is, you know, signs of the times. And if the stage is being set for things like the tribulation, the Antichrist, the second coming, as Jesus describes in great detail in Matthew 24 and 25, well, that means the rapture must be even closer. Let me give you one example of this type of thing that we're talking about, and then I'm going to get into my top 10 list of uh, signs that indicate we could be in the last of the last days. How many of you are familiar with the asteroid Apophis? Um, some of you are. If you follow Bible prophecy, you might have heard of people talking about this. It's officially known as 99942 Apophis, named after the Egyptian god of chaos. NASA names these uh, asteroids. Um, but uh, it's interesting that they chose the name Apophis for this one because uh, the Egyptian god of chaos was a a, a, you know, a demon of serp, uh, you know, demon serpent of darkness, uh, whom Ra, the Egyptian sun god, you may remember that from your schooling days, uh, destroys every morning at dawn. Well, this this is uh, the name of this inbound asteroid. It's 1,100 feet wide. That's four football fields roughly, uh, and it's traveling at nearly 50,000 miles an hour. If you haven't heard about it already, you're going to be hearing more and more about it. In the coming years, uh, uh, you can go to, for example, the NASA JPL site, Jet Propulsion Laboratory site, uh, and there where where they have stories all about this. Uh, you can go to other articles uh, online where it talks about this uh, asteroid could very well hit the Earth in 2029. Um, here's another uh, International Business Times killer asteroid opposes devastating impact on the Earth and so forth. Um, scholars differ. Uh, on exactly how close this will come to Earth. Now, we've done some research on this, talked to folks that kind of have some sources on the inside, and there are a lot of whistleblowers who are saying that actually this is much more significant than uh, the mainstream media and the official narrative out of uh, the government is telling you. In fact, some whistleblowers say it is actually going to be a direct hit. You can actually track it uh, if you go to just search for where is Apophis, um, but they have, you know, the technology through uh, a technology called NEOWISE, which stands for Near Earth Objects Wide Field Infrared Survey Explorer, which is how they track objects in space that come near or some of them even impact the Earth. So depending on who you talk to, talk to it's either going to make a near miss, as you see replicated on the screen here, or some think it actually is going to impact the Earth. So 2029, that's the projected date that it's going to either come near the Earth or hit the Earth. What's the significant or potential significant impact of that, no pun intended, on Bible prophecy, right? Why do I bring that up? What does that have to do with Bible prophecy? Well, you go to the book of Revelation and you take a look at the trumpet judgments, which take place in the second half of the tribulation, and you find out that the third trumpet judgment says this. The third angel sounded, and there fell a great star from heaven, burning as it were a lamp. And it fell upon the third part of the rivers and upon the fountains of the waters. And the name of the star is called Wormwood. And the third part of the waters became Wormwood, became poisoned, if you were bitter. And many died because of the waters, because they were made bitter. So now if we look at our end times prophecy chart, which we've looked at quite a bit over the course of this weekend... Uh, again, the rapture here is a signless event, right? Uh, so nothing has to happen before it. But if you look over at the midpoint there, you see the abomination of desolation, the midpoint of the seven-year tribulation. 
Uh, that's what's going to take place when the Antichrist signs that peace treaty, Daniel 9, 27, starting the clock ticking on that final seven years of the 490-year prophecy that God gave Israel through Daniel. And then if you go a little bit further to the right, you see that's where the trumpet judgments take place. So let's just do a little calculation. If, in fact, this asteroid that uh, everybody's talking about is the fulfillment of the third trumpet judgment and this asteroid hits the earth in 29, if you go back a little more than three and a half years, let's say four years, you arrive at 2025. What's the significance of 2025? Well, in my book, The Spirit of the Antichrist, Volume 2, the latest book that just came out in October, I have a whole chapter on the Luciferian timeline and what they've been saying for over 100 years is the target date for them to usher in the one world system politically, religiously, and economically, and that's 2025. In fact, Alice Bailey, uh, that Satan worshiper herself back in the uh, 1930s, she and her husband started the Lucifer Publishing Company. Uh, she channeled a demon that she names, I think it was called Master DK, and I, I mentioned that and cite that in the book, uh, who told her that, yeah, 2025 is going to be the, the dawning of the new era, the new age, when the Antichrist takes over and rules the world. So doesn't mean it's going to happen. Could be nothing. We're not setting dates. We're not here, you know, speculating and saying, oh, this is when the rapture is going to happen. We're just doing what Jesus tells us to do in Matthew 16, looking at the signs of the times and making some connections. If this asteroid hits the earth, which some say that it will, if that is the fulfillment of the biblical prophecy of the third trumpet judgment in Revelation 8, uh, then we know that we can, we can mark that timetable. That's going to happen after the rapture. That means the rapture has to happen uh, before all of that. So that's what we're doing here when we're, we're talking about the signs of the times. We're looking at uh, prophetic events here that clearly are outlined in Scripture and saying, is the stage being set uh, for these things? Are we seeing any signs of some of these things that are, uh, lie ahead? The rapture itself is a signless event. But if we're seeing signs for these events, then that means the rapture must be even closer. And so we want to be ready. And nothing wrong with that. Where you cross a line, I think, theologically and, and in your handling of Scripture, is when you start to get out the calculator and set dates and say, oh, the rapture is going to happen on this date. I can remember years ago when I was in uh, college, there was a guy going around the country named Edgar Wisenant who had a little booklet on 88 reasons why the rapture is going to happen in 1988. And he would pack houses. And when he came to Houston, I, would, I, I went and, and sat in on one of his uh, sessions. I ended up leaving early because even at that young age I recognized what he was saying was complete heresy and I really couldn't couldn't abide the whole service I said oh, this is done I got better things to do so I, I walked out but he was uh, suggesting the date of the rapture in September I think it was of 1988 well that day came and went and so uh, guess what he came out in 1989 I guess a guy's got to make a living right with a revised edition 1989 uh, reasons why the rapture is going to happen in 1989 and then, uh, of course, that didn't happen then either, so he came out. I think he, he finally stopped five years later with 95 reasons why the rapture is going to happen in 1995. And then I haven't heard from him since, so I don't know if the rapture happened and we all missed it and he was the only one that got caught up or if he finally gave up trying to predict uh, the dates. But So the bottom line is, is end times prophecy being fulfilled today? No, unless the rapture happened and we all missed it. But is the stage being set for the fulfillment of end times prophecy? Absolutely. Absolutely it is. And you'd have to be living under a rock not to see that. We are living in the last days. I made that point yesterday and showed from Scripture how the Bible refers to the present age as the last days. And the last days takes us up to the rapture. Then we shift into the end times. The eschaton is what 
the, the Greek word for that is. So 10 unmistakable signs that I believe tell us we're probably living in the last of the last days. The first one is this, and this ought to be number one on anybody's list, and that is the granting of statehood to Israel. And that, of course, happened in 1948. But so much of Bible prophecy uh, centers on Israel. It's all about the fulfillment of Israel's kingdom, the coming king, the son of David who will take the throne. There has to be a nation of Israel on the map. There has to be a temple on the Temple Mount for Jesus to be able to gather together his elect and bring them back into the land in fulfillment of passages like Deuteronomy 30, Isaiah 27, when he brings them back to worship in the Holy Mount at Jerusalem, Ezekiel 37 promises, surely I will take the children of Israel from among the nations and will gather them from every side and bring them into their own land. If you look at Genesis chapter 15, you find out that Israel has never fully occupied the entire promised land. They've had the rights to it, according to Joshua, but by no means have they ever spread out far enough. You see on the screen there in red is modern day Israel. The blue outline is what was promised to them according to Genesis 15, 18 to 21. That's never happened yet. So either God's a liar or Jesus is going to come back, take the throne, and Israel will get her promised land, as all of the Old Testament prophets talk about again and again and again. So just imagine we were having this conference back in the 1500s or 1600s or 1700s. If I was talking about Israel, it would be just some archaic, old, ancient country that had not been on a Rand McNally map for 1,500 years. Since 70 AD, Israel was no longer around. And yet all of the sudden... For some of you in, in your day and for all of us in modern times, Israel reappears on the map. And really the beginnings of this, uh, really you have to go back to the turn of the 20th century. What I've discovered in my studying of the Luciferian conspiracy is so much of what we are experiencing today really began in earnest in this cosmic battle back around the turn of the 20th century, at least in America. Uh, that's when this, the Luciferians said, enough's enough. We've got to bring down America if we're going to usher in the one world system. And they set a systematic plan in motion to make that happen. But at the same time, God was working, recognizing we're getting near the end of the plan because the rise of the modernist movement goes back to a guy named Theodore Herzl who wrote the book The Jewish State, and he wrote it when? In 1896. He convened the first Zionist World Congress in 1897 in Basel, Switzerland, and in that conference he put forth what became known as the Uganda Plan, which was to give Israel a homeland in Uganda. Only problem with that is Uganda is not the Holy Land. It's not God's land. It's not my land. It's not where God said that I want you to have and, and, and build my temple. Uh, but still, he was, he was talking about the need for Israel to have its homeland. And again, this was some you know, 1,800 years after Israel had been wiped off the map by uh, the Romans. And so there's a quote here from Herzl's diary, a very famous quote, and I'd like Dwayne to read that for us, if you will. <laughs> All right, here, let me help you out. So this is what it says. At Basel, I founded the Jewish state. This is 1897. If I said this out loud today, I would be answered by universal laughter. Perhaps in five years, certainly in 50, everyone will know it. When did he say that? 1897. Now, do the math. I'll help you out, because if you're like me, you were public schooled and maybe a little difficult. But 1947 would put us at about 50 years later. What happened? May 14, 1948, Israel declared her independence and was granted statehood. God was at work setting the stage. Now we have an Israel on the map. 
Now we have a place for the temple to be rebuilt. Now we have a place for the Antichrist to, to work his satanic abomination of desolation. Now we have a place for Christ to come back and take the throne of his father David as promised. That's the number one reason I believe we're living in the last of the last days. But we could look at the geopolitical scene. Any survey of the geopolitical landscape shows the stage is being set. We've got things like Islamic terrorism all around us, everywhere we look. There's mainstream media articles about it, talking about uh, this uh, satanic religion. Not that Islam is the end times uh, religion of the Antichrist. I believe he's going to be a pluralist. That's based on Daniel 11. Uh, but it's one more part of the puzzle. Uh, we've got the rise and fall of nation states. Remember, the goal of the Antichrist is to get every nation on earth to come together under a one-world system and ultimately worship him in a one-world religion. That's what they're trying to do. So these days, it's, it's so complex that it, it's really hard to get your hands around. I mean, you've got you know, us paying to create groups like Al-Qaeda and ISIS and funding them, and in one minute we're fighting against them because they're our enemies and they're doing terrorist attacks. The next minute we're funding them, and you just never know whose side you're on. Your enemy of your enemy is your friend. Your friend of your enemy is your enemy. You know, it's just hard to make sense of it. I finally found a guy who is able to help me put it all together as we see the rise and fall of nation states, and it made it seem a lot more simple. So this is basically what's going on uh, in the world today. So I hope you find that. Uh, that helpful. But the sad thing is we are seeing terrible atrocities throughout the world as nation states are falling all around us. And Jesus told us, you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not troubled, for all these things must come uh, to pass. And uh, he said, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be famines and pestilences and earthquakes. Uh, in Luke's account of the Olivet Discourse, he says specifically near the end of the tribulation before the second coming, we're going to see fear and expectation of those things which are coming on the earth. Again, that's not, uh, we're not saying that has happened today. That won't happen until the end of the tribulation. But the stage is clearly being set for it. Zechariah the prophet said it. A, a great panic from the Lord will be among them during the tribulation days. And everyone will seize the hand of his neighbor and raise his hand against his neighbor's hand. People are going to be going berserk. Uh, but... It's in this context that the Antichrist will rise, the rider on the white horse in Revelation 6 2, and he's going to go out to conquer and to conquer. So we certainly see the rise and fall of nation states. Now, I talked about a little bit about the federal, the privately owned Federal Reserve yesterday and, and how the, the, they're trying to usher in a, a global digital currency and a tracking mechanism with the digital IDs. But there is clearly a global economic crisis. Take the United States, for example. In 1980, we were the world's largest creditor nation. Uh, by before 1980, by 1980, we became the world's largest debtor nation and have been ever since. We are living on borrowed time. You see this throughout all parts of uh, the world. That's why you had Brexit and you had you know, uh, the vote to leave the EU and then you had to Swexit, you know. Uh, and we have some family down in Texas. I think some of them were talking about Texas. I'm not really sure. But the, the economy is, uh, is just on meltdown. Every time you turn around, it's just another crash. And sure, it recovers a little bit. But the bottom line is the, Uni the United States economy is on life support. And this is setting the stage for the Antichrist and the beast, I mean, the, and the false prophet, the second in command, who is going to usher in a one-world cashless society where no one may buy or sell without government uh, permission. So I encourage you to check out my presentation. It's still posted on our website from December on 
central bank digital currencies and full spectrum planetary uh, control. But then we could look at the populist movement. I mean, this wasn't just an American uh, phenomena back in 2016. This was happening all across uh, the world. Again, uh, basically undermining national sovereignty in a way. In some places, that's good. You want a populist uprising. But nevertheless, it's setting the stage for political unrest and the rise of a one-world government. And the same thing with fraudulent elections. I talk about that. I have a whole chapter on fake elections in my volume two of Spirit of the Antichrist. I encourage you to, to watch that because, uh, or to, to read that, because that is uh, something that, that I've been talking about for 15 years. And thankfully, a lot of people are beginning to wake up to the reality of the fact that we don't have elections. We have selections in this country, and it's been that way for about 30 years, ever since we went to digital technology. Uh, and 2020 was certainly the biggest example of that. Uh, this rise in globalism is another, uh, I think, sign of the times, the, the coming one-world government. We are headed towards a one-way government, one-world government, as I talked about yesterday, one way or the other. Initially, it's going to be led by Satan's man of the hour, the Antichrist. But ultimately, as the Bible comes full circle back to a pre-fall Edenic state, we're going to see Christ's one-world government when he takes uh, the throne. And so these are some of the quotes that I gave yesterday. David Rockefeller tells us some even believe, this is in his memoirs, uh, he said, quote, some even believe we are part of a secret cabal working against the best interests of the United States, characterizing my family and me as internationalists and of conspiring with others around the world to build a more integrated global political and economic structure. One world, if you will. Well, if that's the charge, did he deny it? Did he say, well, they're crazy. I would never know. Well, I'm guilty and I'm proud of it. It's exactly what he's been trying to do. He and his other Luciferian co-conspirators. Uh, he said, we are on the verge of a global transformation. All we need is the right major crisis and the nations will unite uh, to accept the new world order. Uh, he said, the world is now more sophisticated and prepared to march uh, towards a world government. Listen to this. This ought to chill you to the bone. The supranational sovereignty of an intellectual elite and world bankers is surely preferable to the national auto-determination practiced in past centuries. In other words, to national sovereignty and the nation states that we used to have. But just put all your stock in us, the global elite, and we'll tell you what to do and everybody will be fine. Another example would be the Gog and Magog stage setting. Now, we haven't talked about Gog and Magog so far in this conference, so let me take a minute to mention what that is. This is uh, it comes from Ezekiel 38 and 39, where the prophecy says, Son of man, set your face against Gog, the ruler of the land of Magog. And that's referring to modern southern Russia. And then he goes on to list some of the participants in it. Uh, in biblical days, this is roughly 500 years before Christ when this was written, Persia, Ethiopia, and Put are with them, all of them with shield and helmet, Gomer and all of its troops in the house of Togarma from the far north. So let's just overlay this with modern day names of these countries in that geographic region of the world. Persia is modern day Iran. Ethiopia is modern day Sudan. Put is modern day Libya. Gomer is modern day Turkey. And Togarma is modern day Syria. Now, do any of those nations along the bottom of the screen sound familiar? <laughs> Heard anything about any of those lately in the news? Uh, of course we have. Um, they're in the news every day, and according to the Bible, there's a, an alliance of those nations that are going to come together and invade Israel from the north. Uh, Daniel adds a little more detail to it, and it's, it's going to be this, uh, this, this alliance of a northern group of nations that come at Israel, and it, it's picked up by Libya and Sudan and some of these others as well. 
But then the Bible tells us a Western alliance is going to form from further out to the West that's also going to come in and try to defend Israel against this northern aggressor. And it's my belief, as I outline in my uh, eschatology book, uh, What Lies Ahead, A Biblical Overview of the End Times, that this Western alliance uh, that Ezekiel doesn't talk about but Daniel does is led by the man who will become the future Antichrist. And that he uh, comes in and, 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 and defends Israel against this northern aggressor. Of course, we know from Ezekiel 38 and 39 that God's the one who actually defends Israel and actually uh, defeats them supernaturally. If you've ever watched the, the first Left Behind uh, movies that came out uh, uh, from Tim LaHaye's series, I had the privilege of working with Tim LaHaye, knew him uh, well, and uh, talked with him several times at the conferences where I would be uh, speaking or attending. And uh, he, uh, he does a good job in the video of portraying what this looks like. You've just got inexplicably planes falling out of the sky, and clearly God is just defending uh, Israel. But what happens is this Western alliance takes the credit for it and says, oh, look what we did. We, we protected Israel, and it causes the leader, who I believe is the future Antichrist, to rise to prominence, and he, he takes advantage of that fame to sign the peace treaty with Israel that starts the clock ticking on the uh, you know, seven-year tribulation. So I put the Battle of Gog and Magog right here after the rapture, but before the signing of the peace treaty, and I believe it's that battle that sets the stage for the signing of the peace treaty that starts that seven-year clock ticking. So the question is, do we see so the signs of the times, the stage being set for such a battle? Well, of course, Russia and Iran are getting pretty chummy these days and many of the other nations that are mentioned in uh, the pr prophecy of the Battle of Gog and Magog are in the news every day. Again, just one more piece of information. Of course, one of the biggest, and this is really the premise of my Spirit of the Antichrist, The Gathering Cloud of Deception series, those two books that just came out last year, uh, is the great satanic deception. It's going to get worse and worse, Paul tells us in 2 Timothy 3.13. Uh, the premise of my book series is 1 John 2.18 and 1 John 4.3. 1 John 2.18 says, one antichrist is coming, but even now many antichrists have come. And they've been uh, you know, all, all throughout the world for the last 2,000 years. You know, Satan is not omniscient. He's got his man of the hour ready in any age because if the rapture happens, he's got to be ready to indwell that man, step in, and take over the world. Uh, 1 John 4.3 uh, says, the spirit of the antichrist is already at work among us. And so we know when the Antichrist comes, he's going to foist an unrighteous deception on the whole world. That's why Jesus repeatedly warns that future generation that will be alive on earth during the rise of the Antichrist to be careful that no one deceives you because many false Christs will come and deceive many. And many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And that's what we have happening today with this pluralistic postmodern culture uh, that is uh, all about political correctness and the cancel culture where they're accepting lies and rejecting truth. And sadly, this is happening in the church as well. We see a glaring spiritual apostasy as yet another sign of the times that indicates we're getting closer and closer to the end. We are told that in the latter part of the last days, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons. In his second letter, the last letter that he wrote, Paul says, for the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers, and they will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. 
If that's not a almost exact description of what's happening in our world today, I don't know what is. Now, obviously, for 2,000 years, people have been prone to false doctrine. We've seen apostasy at times, but it just seems like it has reached new heights today. Mainstream media outlets are touting the rise or the fall and decline of American Christianity. People are talking about how there's no hell anymore. Major popular evangelical bestsellers are out front talking about how there's no hell, such as Rob Bell, very popular guy, uh, and, uh, and, and, and you know, completely obliterating sound doctrine just as scripture says they were. You look at it everywhere. You know, Christianity Today, you know, used to be a fairly decent magazine, but it, it departed from the faith 30, 40 years ago. I wouldn't spend one dime on that magazine. It's an instrument of the devil that people are, that the devil is using to advance the pluralistic uh, agenda. And they have a whole article in uh, this uh, issue from several years ago talking about how you can worship Jesus and be a Muslim, and they were all talking about the same God, and, you know, come on. Um, so we see it everywhere we look, and, and that's this thing about apostasy. At first, it appears to only be a lane change, but first thing you know, you're caught in the exit-only lane, and you depart from the faith uh, entirely. And then number seven is the glorifying of sin. You know, there just seems to be no shame anymore wherever we look. Uh, things that were once done in darkness are now done openly and in the light. And this is what Paul is talking about when he says, perilous times will come. Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. Uh, at the Grammy Awards a couple of weeks ago, they, uh, there was a satanic performance. This was... Uh, uh, Oh, a couple Sunday nights ago. Uh, actually, it might have been last, no, it was two Sunday nights ago. But anyway, uh, there was a song by Sam Smith and transgender singer Kim Petras about an adulterous relationship. The name of the song is Unholy. <laughs> I mean, uh, you can't make this stuff up. They're just in your face with their satanic rituals. They dress like the devil. And, and I actually had downloaded a clip that I was going to show at a Prophecy Night conference that I, or message that I gave a couple weeks ago. But after downloading it and watching the first couple minutes of it, it was so disgusting and revolting, I said, I'm not, I can't possibly show that to a bunch of Christians in an audience, but it was on primetime TV, and everybody's just sitting there watching it and glorifying uh, sin. Uh, you know it, it's, it gets bad when a guy like this uh, uh, millennial, David Morgan, 21 years old, uh, got a huge following, uh, over 70,000 followers on Twitter, and he posted this after that. He said, I'm not even religious, and yet with every passing day, I am more and more convinced that we are living in satanic times. This level of evil goes beyond what humans are capable of. It's demonic. Listen, folks, when unbelieving millennials can recognize satanic, demonic activity, and the church is asleep at the wheel, we have a problem. And that is a sign of the times. Uh, you know, Satanism is everywhere. This is, by the way, what people think witchcraft looks like but as I talked about yesterday and I hope you'll go back and watch those videos if you haven't uh, with Operation Mockingbird and the controlled state-run media run by the Luciferians this is what Satanism actually looks like so just uh, be on guard for that um, so uh, the gender surrender movement is was one of the toughest chapters that I had to write in my uh, Spirit of the Antichrist book chapter 13 I actually had to 
put it down for a couple weeks and just take a breath and get away from it. It was just so discouraging and revolting to see the level of perversion and the level of satanic ritual abuse and the types of things going on. But I call this the gender surrender movement. It's Satan's greatest attack on the image of God in man. Remember, God created man in his own image, male and female. He created them. That is the image of God in man. To attack gender is to destroy God's highest pinnacle of creation, the crown jewel of creation, the only uh, created thing that has a soul and that is made in the image of God. And everywhere you turn at every level, you see the Luciferian-controlled media and entertainment industry. Uh, by the way, Hollywood is the sort of ground zero of, the, uh, of Satanism. That's where it gets its name from the holly tree, which witches used to use branches from the holly tree to cast spells. And so it is, has a long history going back to the early the middle of the 19th century when it was founded as being a seed of uh, seedbed of Satanism. But everywhere you turn, they're promoting the gender surrender movement. Here's a Disney Junior uh, channel uh, advancing the same sex agenda to preschoolers. Uh, here's a 90-second TV ad by Sprite promoting the LGBTQ agenda. Another Disney uh, uh, show introduces a homosexual teen. I mean, everywhere we turn, even in politics, uh, you know, if, you, if you're still buying into the right-left paradigm, you've really missed it. I talked about that yesterday. I encourage you to you know, read that chapter in the book. But at the RNC, the very night that uh, Trump accepted the nomination, they asked Peter Thiel in prime time to speak. And uh, he is a you know, billionaire leader. He's number 16 on the LGBT list, their own list that they keep of the most influential LGBTQ personalities. Uh, and uh, he says, I'm, I'm, I'm proud. Fox News covered it in, in, a, in a very positive uh, way. Here's Fox News' coverage. And uh, what did he say? He said, well, of course, every American has a unique identity. I am proud to be gay. I'm proud to be Republican. And most of all, I'm proud to be an American. Uh, I could say a lot more about that. But Forbes magazine uh, you know, is out, out promoting it. Uh, even other companies that used to be at one time family friendly, like Ritz Crackers, rolled out an ad campaign two Christmases ago that talked about advancing the LGBTQ agenda. And notice the subsection here. At Ritz, we believe everyone should feel like they, be they belong. That's why this holiday we're encouraging people to rethink what it means to be a family. Right? Uh, you know, I, we, we have lots of other uh, examples of this in, uh, in the book. But... Uh, another one is government spying. I talked about this uh, yesterday uh, and the, the, the full-spectrum planetary control grid, which the Antichrist will need uh, during the tribulation to be able to, to, do, con to control everything, travel, spending, transactional exchanges, and so forth. Is the stage being set for that? Absolutely. Uh, and then uh, the last one is uh, growing scoffers. Uh, you know, one of the signs of the times that Peter gives us is that uh, in the last days, scoffers will come. Uh, and he's talking here in the church, people that were, will mock those who believe in the rapture and who teach about Bible prophecy and host conferences where you're looking at the 16% of the Bible that talks about unfulfilled prophecy. And they will mock them and they will say, well, where is the promise of his coming? Ha, he's not coming back. Haven't you, you know, heard he's, he's reigning today and this is the kingdom. Enjoy it. The church has replaced Israel and nobody needs to study Bible prophecy. Well, what do we see? We see all over Hollywood these these movies that are uh, you know mocking those who believe in in the rapture. You see memes circulating like this one. I don't want to brag or anything, but this is like the fifth end of the world I've survived. Well, 
You might not survive the sixth. So I would read your Bible, look at current events, and be ready because it sure seems like things are happening. Even Bible teachers are out there teaching false doctrine like Dave McPherson, the rapture hoax debunked, and you know, rapture delusions and all this. But never forget, the louder the scoffers, the closer we must be getting to the end because that's what the Bible says. So there you have it. My top ten reasons I think we might be living in the last of the last days. The granting of statehood to Israel, the geopolitical scene, the globalism surge, the Gog and Magog stage setting, the great satanic deception, the glaring spiritual apostasy, the glorifying of sin, the gender surrender movement, government spying, and growing scoffers. So let's heed the warning of Jesus that we started with, and let's look at the signs of the times, be ready, and uh, recognize that uh, we don't know when the curtain's going to rise, right? You know, when... when uh, Wendy and I, you know, were on a conference trip one time uh, up to the Northeast. We, we love to spend time up there, been up there several times. We actually honeymooned there uh, 30 years ago. I grew up in grade school up in Connecticut, so love the area. And we uh, got some uh, discounted tickets to see a Broadway play, and it, and, and it was the tickets. I don't know how Wendy got them. She always finds a way to get great tickets. But we were actually sitting on the front row of this Broadway theater. And we were so close that I could put my feet up on the stage if I wanted. And in fact, I put my program, my playbill, on the stage, and an usher, as we were waiting for the stage, the play to start, an usher came by and said, sir, you can't put that up there. You know, we were that close because it, would, it might cause the actors to, to trip. But as we were sitting there, um, because the stage was raised, we were about eye level with the floor, and we could see underneath the curtain, and we could see shadows moving, we could hear props being shuffled around. We knew the play was about to start. We didn't know exactly when that curtain was going to rise, but the stage was being set. And the stage is being set for the rapture. Someday that curtain is going to rise. The Lord's going to call us to meet him in the air. And praise God, we'll be forever with the Lord. So I hope you're ready for that. In the second hour, we're going to talk about what happens one minute after the rapture. And uh, we're going to talk about what believers can do and what unbelievers should do. So let's pray, and then we'll finish up. Father, thank you for this uh, session this morning, and thank you for just the, the richness of your word, again, that reminds us of all the things that will happen in the future. Help us to, 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 to not turn a deaf ear and a blind eye, but to really pay attention to what's happening. We serve a big God. You're an amazing God, a good Father, and you have, are working out your plan precisely as you have told us in your word you will. Help us to uh, to pay attention to that and to be ready for that. And most of all, I pray if there's one here within the sound of my voice today that doesn't know you, that in simple childlike faith, they would feel the convicting work of the Holy Spirit drawing them to you and would trust in Jesus Christ, your Son and our Savior, as the only one who can forgive sin and give them eternal life. And it's in his precious name that we pray. Amen. 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 Thank you so much.